Would you turn to Genesis chapter 33? And uh, before we begin, I want to ask you all to pray with me as we pray for uh, Sam Ingram's mother and also for Manny Flores. Manny has been with us for many, many years here at this ministry. He comes on Saturday night, but he was taken to hospital this weekend. And uh, uh, so we just want to pray for his uh, his recovery and for Miss Ingram who is in hospice today. So please join me in a word of prayer. And if there are any people in your lives or you want to lift up in prayer, you know, take this time in your hearts to lift them up to the Lord as well. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming before your throne of grace this morning to lift up the needs of those, Lord, who are suffering uh, physical uh, ailments today, uh, some of them very grave uh, and we pray, Father, for, for them, and we ask for your blessing upon the Ingram family as, as they have been uh, taking care of Mrs. Ingram through her time of uh, being in, in hospital and now in hospice, Lord. We, we just ask you to bring them comfort and wisdom. I know that they have had to make some very, very heavy decisions, Lord, uh, about her care and all. So we ask you to give them that wisdom today through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask also, Lord, for your blessing upon Manny as he as he's recovering, Lord God, from his visit to the to the hospital and certainly the tests that he's uh, had to take concerning his heart and and other issues. So we we lift him up to you, and as we do so as well, Father, the many that we all are aware of that are struggling through many physical pains. How thankful that we can come to you because you're still the great physician. You are still the one, Lord, who who blesses us with healing and uh, grace. And, Lord, may we learn from all of this to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Father, we look to you today in Jesus' name for your help, for your strength. Pour out your Spirit upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 33. The power of forgiveness. A lesson I think that all of us as believers in Jesus Christ should not take lightly or To take for granted. It's an interesting lesson that we learn about forgiveness in this particular chapter. As we consider the life and continue to consider the life of Jacob, who has uh, been a tremendous picture of ourselves, tremendous picture of us, in our ups and our downs in our struggles and in our trials. Our knowing the love of God and the love of Christ, and yet, from time to time, trying to help God out by taking certain matters into our own hands. 
And now we see Jacob waiting for his brother Esau to meet with him. Yet he has such suspicions and fears. Thinking that, of course, Esau is going to come to destroy him for all of the things that Jacob had done early on in their lives. Where Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright. And then eventually the blessing. When all along God had prophesied that the younger would have those things and the elder would serve the younger. So we, at times, fail to wait upon God. And Jacob becomes a good example of that for us as well. <clears throat> but now, after Jacob has been spoken to by God and, and told that God has sent with him another camp, a camp of angels to be with him, to protect him, to lead him, to guide him, to be with him, and then all he wanted him to do was just to go back to Bethel, the place where he met with God, because usually that's where we need to go. We need to go back to that place where we met God the first time and remember the things that God had told us, remember the things that God had called us to do. Jacob is still struggling in what to do. And instead of trust the extra camp that he had with him that God had given him, he divides his own camp in fear of what Esau might do. But now he waits. He's already sent Esau a preview of the gifts that he's going to give him and just waits to see what Esau wants to show of himself. So in verse 1 of our text, it begins, Now Jacob lifted his eyes, and he looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. And then he crossed over before them, and he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. You know, some of you may remember, those of you that are of some good age, may remember an old television program back in the 60s, and probably early 70s, that was hosted by a man named Art Linkletter that was called People Are Funny. It was all about the funny things that people would do. Not necessarily ridiculous, but something that was humorous and funny. Because people are funny. I look at you all and I think, oh, people are funny. Oh, I'm just kidding. But in some cases it may be true. But nowadays, and probably for a good long while, people are funny and uh, yet they're also weird. Nowadays we have things like YouTube to show us how ridiculous some people are in trying to be funny. So we have to come and make distinctions between what is funny ha-ha and what is just kind of funny weird. Y'all understand that? There's, there's funny ha-ha and there's funny weird. Today, some people are very funny in the fact that they are just 
Sue happy. They're just Sue happy. That's kind of funny, but it's not funny. Ha ha. It's it's kind of funny, kind of weird because we have been, we've become a very extremely litigious society, which means, you know, we have people just suing for all kinds of reasons. Some people sue for everything from a hot, uh, from a hot cup of coffee to hurt feelings. A few years ago, McDonald's restaurants in the United States had to lower the temperature of their coffee because a woman in Albuquerque uh, purchased a cup of coffee at a McDonald's there. And as she was leaving, I suppose, from the, either from the drive-thru or maybe she went in, but nonetheless, as she was leaving, she spilled the coffee on her lap. It was very hot. And so, of course, the coffee uh, burned her. And, but whose fault was it? Well, she, she sued McDonald's for a million dollars and she won. And later on, that ruling was, was, was overturned. But, but the point is this. Our society, generally speaking, has no concept of forgiving. Our society today has no concept of forgiveness. All that many people think of is getting even. Forgiveness has become a lost art. And now everything is about revenge. We even have TV programs that are called revenge. Much of the, uh, mo- many of the movies out of Hollywood, you know, you have this kind of a revenge thing, you know. Somebody's hurt me, I've got to go over there and pay them back for it. So we want to have revenge, we want to get even, we want to make someone pay for what they've done to us. Sadly enough, that mentality has drifted from the secular world into churches today. When we should exhibit love. When we should be exhibiting the love of Christ in our lives toward one another. Instead, we are exhibiting the bitterness of the flesh. The bitterness, the anger, the wrath comes out of us. And may I say, for many, uncharacteristically, because that is no longer supposed to be the character of a believer. When we should be merciful, we oftentimes reveal a very merciless side to ourselves, to us. When we should be forgiving, we choose not to forgive. We choose to hold grudges. Even as believers. Happens too often in the church. The pain actually of of not really taking seriously the love of God, the Word of God, the presence of God, the presence of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now taking these things seriously. And in this chapter there's this strong reminder to us that there are two sides to the issue of forgiveness. There are two sides to the issue of forgiveness. There is the character of the one who forgives and and the character of the one being forgiven. How the Lord chooses to teach us that lesson may be somewhat shocking to us in this account that we're reading today because it is Esau 
who forgives. And Jacob is the object of forgiveness. Now, I was, I was pointed out earlier today about a, a prophecy in the book of Amos uh, about how the descendants of, of Esau, the Edomites, you know, they're, they're going to be held accountable for, you know, their, their hatred of, of, of the Jewish people, in, in essence, the, uh, the people of, of, of Jacob, you know, Israel. Uh, and that's, of course, later on. We're, we're not going to deal with that. We just want to deal with this issue here. What we see here, what God has to show us about forgiveness from a person who was, uh, for all intents and purposes, not a believer. We haven't seen anything in our study of the lives of Jacob and Esau that Esau had any redeeming quality as a believer in God, in the God of Abraham or Isaac. Jacob did believe, yet Jacob was the one with all the rough edges. Just like many people today who are Christians who have a lot of rough edges that we're needing to surrender every day so that the Lord can take those things away so we can become more and more into the image of Christ. Take, for example, the very first verse of our our, our text today. Verse 1. Whose name do you see there? The second word. It says Jacob, doesn't it? What happened last week? When Jacob was out there in the wilderness wrestling with God. Actually, it was God wrestling with him. And they wrestled all night and Jacob just held on and held on. He was, a, you know, he was allowed to kind of stay in the struggle. God, I mean, God could have wiped him out. Besides God, you know, the Lord who's wrestling with him, actually touched the socket of his hip and, and made him limp, you know, but, but Jacob would kept holding on and, and, and the, the, he says, you got to let me go. He says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Okay, and so God blesses him, but then he says, I'm going to bless you with something else. I'm going to change your name. You're no longer Yaakov, supplanter, deceiver, conniver, thief. You're no longer Yaakov. Now you are Israel, prince with God and governed by God. And yet, just a few verses later, as we get into this particular chapter, he's called Yaakov again. Isn't that interesting? This is significant. This is not a mistake, or this is not just saying, you know, well, you know, Israel's his nickname and Jacob is his name, so, you know, it doesn't matter. They're interchangeable. Really? What happened to that new name Israel, anyway? Did you know that from this point to the end of Genesis, he has called Jacob 45 times and he's only called Israel 23 times from here on to the end of Genesis? That's significant. That's on purpose. God knows what he's doing and showing us that many times we enter back into that character of the old man when, you know, the Lord has told us, listen, the old man's supposed to be dead. Right? So how often do we persist in being Jacob even after we've been chased for all eternity by the blood of Jesus Christ? By the work of the cross? (laughs) And yet Jacob, Jacob is the most real reflection of our own life and journey with the Lord. Early on, we saw Jacob at his best, didn't we? Early on in his, in his life's journey, we saw Jacob at his best. What was his best at, at the beginning? 
He was lying. He was a good liar, wasn't he? I mean, this is pretty much how he came around to, to getting the, the, the birthright from Esau and also later on the, the blessing from Esau that was supposed to be given to him. And, and, he, and he had to fool his own father Isaac to obtain a blessing that, by the way, God was going to give him anyway. How God was going to do it, I don't know. None of us know, but he was going to do it because he had prophesied that. And then we remember him looking and listening when the Lord appeared to him in Bethel. Where he met with God. And God spoke to him and God promised him the blessings of Abraham. Which in fact was, he's going to continue on and through his line was going to come the Messiah. And then for 20 years, Jacob was learning. He was learning, especially in the household of Laban. He was learning patience and he was learning perseverance because he found somebody who was a better liar than him. His own father-in-law. He was a better liar and a better thief and he was a better conniver and he was a better supplanter than Jacob could have ever been. And now, armed with the knowledge and understanding of God in his presence and with him, he had to learn patience and perseverance. And now after this wrestling match with God, he's limping. It's a reminder of being broken. Of being a broken man and yet a blessed man. See, you can be a broken person and you can be a blessed person. In fact, God wants to break us because He loves us. Just read Psalm 51. And see how God blessed a broken David. A broken and a contrite spirit God will not despise. Because the more broken we are, the more we need to trust in the Lord. But Jacob is a strong person, isn't he? Later on, many years later, as we we will continue on in, in learning, but he's going to be leaning. We hope that he's going to be leaning upon the, uh, upon the strength of God himself. Certainly he's going to be leaning as an old man taken to Egypt before his last great journey into eternity, leaning upon all that God has done to bless him. But here, where he is, at the brook Yabuk, crossing the Jordan. He has one major hurdle that stands in his way, and that's his eventual meeting with his brother Esau. So as we look back at our text, it says that Jacob lifted his eyes and he looked. And there Esau was coming. And with him 400 men. I'm sure that when Esau finally heard that Jacob was nearing that he was remembering those awful times he was remembering that awful thing that Jacob had done to him he was remembering that stealing that thievery he said I haven't forgotten that 
You ever hold a grudge that long? 20 years? Jacob kind of figured that Esau was, and so he began to divide the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And then he, he sets them up in a kind of an interesting way. He, he put the maidservants and their children in front, and then Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Kind of an interesting order. Very similar to the order in which he sent the animals to Esau as a gift. No, he sent the goats, which were the least valuable, and then, then the sheep, which were a little more valuable, and then the camels, which were a little more valuable, and then the livestock, which was much more valuable, and then finally the donkeys, which were the most valuable. And he sent them in that order to his brother. And here his family is in kind of an order of value to him as well, figure you know, for what it's worth. But then Jacob does something very uncharacteristic, at least out of his caution and fear, it says that he crossed over before them and he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He gets in front of all of his family. Now he had certainly been cautious as he awaited Esau's visit. And again, I say it is possible that he moved, he put the more expendable wives and children up front where they would be the first to meet any hostile intent on Esau's part, which doesn't bode well for Jacob, but nonetheless... He gave the others, like Leah, her sons, and Rachel and Joseph, time to escape. And this might very well be where the hatred toward Joseph started with his brothers, because the Lord is putting Joseph in a position of being protected. Later on, we find that the brothers hate Joseph, probably because of Jacob's love of the son that was given to his love, Rachel. And once again, this shows that even a regenerated and a revived heart like Jacob's can still mistrust the Lord. Still trying to do things, still trying to take matters into his own hands to help God out. Abraham learned his lesson, Isaac learned his lesson, that this isn't the thing to do. You're supposed to be trusting the Lord. But in verse 3, and this is kind of the way our lives work sometimes. We are up and then we are down, we are up and we are down. And even in the midst of our own humanness, sometimes we just hear God. We just look in that little window of faith. Besides, how much faith do we need? The scriptures tell us we only need the faith the size of a mustard seed. Sometimes we look through that little window and then we realize there's something I must trust God about here. And we see Jacob becoming, going from a, a cautious Jacob to a courageous Jacob in, in that he actually passes before the family and he goes ahead of them and he puts himself in the crosshairs of danger. And Esau finds Jacob as cautious first of all, but then courageous. And then he finds him to be contrite. Jacob would take a few steps and he would bow. And then remember, he's got a limp, so he takes a few steps and then he bows. And he does it again and he bows. And he continues to do this until he had bowed seven times. And this was a noble display of courtesy and a noble display of grace in the culture of that day. Now you have to remember, here is a person who is a believer in God, the God of Abraham and Isaac. Still crude in a lot of ways. 
But he's showing respect to his older brother, who's not a believer. Never has shown a sign that he was. Yet he comes to him, bowing to him. Humility is, is, is just reeking from him. I mean, he's humble. I honestly believe that this was a sincere humility. He's not putting on airs here. I don't think we put on any airs with anybody coming with 400 men to whoop you. I don't think you do that. I think this is very sincere humility. It was a noble display. It was courteous. It was gracious. Folks, I'm trying to drive that point home because sometimes even as Christians, we are not too courteous or gracious with people that we're supposed to love and we're supposed to honor and we're supposed to respect. We treat them really bad. You understand what I'm saying? You can admit, you can admit it or you don't have to. But you have to understand what I'm saying. That even we as Christians can act quite foolish. This is respect that I believe our culture has lost. I don't know that there is true respect anymore that's being taught to our children, except in homes that are Christian homes that needs to be taught there. To teach our children to respect elders, to respect the neighbors, to respect people. To be able to say, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. Learn how to greet others. To say to, to, to some people, hello, how are you? Here's my hand. Greeting. I love, I love it after church, kids like to come and like to hug me. I guess I look huggable or something, you know, so they... Come and hug me. I, I love it. They're just all around me, you know. Uh, but I, sometimes if I see somebody that just seems a little bit, you know, kind of apprehensive, a little afraid, I'll go up to them. I'll just reach out my hand. I'll just, let, me, let me shake your hand. How are you today, young man? How are you today, young lady? I hope you're doing well. I want them to know that they can extend respect to any age. We can respect our little ones. Because that's teaching them to respect others. Have we lost that? Do you think we've lost it? Here Jacob is doing it to somebody that, yes, he was fearful of. But it was part of the culture. It should always be a part of our culture. Now, some would say that Jacob should have been more, more like Israel, right? I mean, his name was changed already. How come he's not more like Israel? Wasn't, wasn't Esau supposed to be bowing to Jacob as the prophecy foretold? So they're actually saying, you know, Jacob is wrong here in doing what he's doing. But, but you see, there, there, were some, there were still some lessons that Jacob needed to learn, just as there are lessons for us still to learn as believers in Jesus Christ. No matter how old we are, no matter how many years we've been in the Lord, there's still lessons for us to learn. Each and every one of us here can learn those lessons. As a matter of fact, God wants you to learn those lessons in life. I thought it was really something. There are two young ladies out there in the, in the hallway. One, one's in here today and one was in the first service. And they were out talking. 
Two young ladies. One's 90, one's 91. And they were out there in the hallway talking. And I just, it was such a blessing just to see them. 90 and 91. And I said, they have a lot to talk about. They probably have a lot to share. But they'll be the first to admit there's still a lot to learn. That's why they came to church. To learn the Word of God. Because they're still living life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you do that when you're 90 and 91? Wow. By the way, Jacob is in his hundreds already. And so was Esau for that matter. But consider for a moment that Jacob's actions were right. That they were the right things that he was doing. And I want you to remember that he had done great evil. And now it was time to overcome evil with good. You know that Paul has taught us that lesson in the book of Romans. Romans 12 verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is that not a command? That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What was Jacob trying to do? He was overcoming the evil that he had done with his brother and toward his brother, and now overcome it with good. It's never wrong to do that. And let's remember how sovereign our God is. The Lord could have done things any other way, right? If God had done things totally different than what we're seeing happening right now in the Scriptures... It still would have been right because God is never wrong. Amen? I mean, God's never wrong. Is He? Now, sometimes, folks, I'm asking you because, you know, sometimes we think, Oh, God, why did you do this? You know, when we say, God, why did you do this? We're saying, God, I think you did something wrong. Isn't that right? How come you guys don't want to agree with me today? Oh, you're trying to save yourself, huh? A little embarrassment. I don't know if I see that one. Uh-huh. Let me just say, you know, the Pharisees did that with Jesus. They, Jesus would say something to them and he would, well, if I answer this, then, yeah. no, no, I'm just asking you very simple questions. Is God ever wrong? No, of course not. Is he always right? Well, that's getting better now. I like that. Yeah, he's never, he's always right. So he could have done things in all kinds of different ways and it would all have been right. But here's the thing. The Lord could have done things any other way, but since Jacob was taking such a human, a human path, as it were, the Lord brought about good, or he brought good out of this evil, and he made the wrath of man to praise him. He made the wrath of man to praise him. Esau was not, for all intents and purposes, a believer But his heart changed in the sense that he didn't come now to destroy Jacob. Something else happens. Something else happens. Look at verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. I want to ask you a question. Does that sound familiar? Does that verse of Scripture sound familiar to you? Does it sound familiar to you? Uh, uh, does it sound something similar to something said in, in one of the Gospels? Does, does, does it sound familiar to you of, of a verse uh, that you find in the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 15? Do you, know, do you know what account that is? You should know. 
Hold that, hold that thought. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes, and he saw the women and children, and he said, Who are these with you? So Jacob said to him, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. This is a very important verse here, because a lot of people who are criticizing Jacob's actions at this point are saying that what Jacob should have been doing all along is giving testimony of God, but they're saying that he never really did that. Seems like he did it here. So who are these with you? The women, the children, the children who God has given graciously to your servant. God has graciously given them. He says these are from these are a gift from the Lord. That's what he's saying. They were a gift from God to me. And then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. What had those children learned from Jacob? Respect. Respect. If your children are doing what you're doing, they're either going to be showing respect or showing some other kind of action. What a wonderful example, at least in this case, Jacob was. The children came and showed respect to their uncle Esau. Up to this point, Jacob had been preparing for the worst, hadn't he? Oh, listen, the Lord gives him a company of angels to to be with him. He still acts like they're not there. Still afraid of Esau. So he divides the family up, makes them into two camps. Figures if he can save one camp, at least he'll have something left over if Esau comes and destroys the other camp. Boy, what thinking. Isn't that great forward thinking on the part of somebody who should have been trusting the Lord all along? How does that make us feel about the decisions that we sometimes make when we should be trusting the Lord? We're we're trying to help God out. But it begs this question for us. It begs the question, how often do we not take care of past problems because we're imagining the worst? See, that's what Jacob was doing. He was preparing for the worst, and so he was imagining the worst. Now I say, you know, if the pendulum swings to the other extreme and and people are imagining the best all the time, you know, sometimes that's not good either because, you know, we have to be realistic. Especially nowadays, I mean, we should be realistic all along because, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, man is a fallen creature. So we can't be too optimistic. I mean, we just need to be cautious. You know, there's there's a certain kind of fear that's right. But there's also something wrong when we're only imagining the worst, when we're supposed to be trusting God through every circumstance and every trial of our life, right? So he's imagining the worst. But we have to ask the question, how often do we not take care of past problems because we are imagining or thinking of the worst? We give the Lord no credit for the fact that He can heal those wounds and He can fix the problem. Do you know that the Lord has said time and time again, there is nothing too hard for me. 
There is nothing that is impossible for me. If you bring me the burden, I will work with you through it. And I will bring healing to you. And I will bring help to you. And I will bring comfort to you. In the midst of all of your struggles, I am your God. That's a nice, weak, amen. (laughs) Come on, people. Listen, God loves you. God cares for you. God knows what you're going through. And in spite of what we are, He loves us anyway. And is ready to respond when we will just call on Him in faith. He wants to heal wounds. He wants to fix these problems. By the way, we're often wondering, what's the best number to have in our phones? It's Jeremiah 33.3. Put that in your phone. Call to me, God says. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He doesn't say, text me. Send me an email. He says, call to me. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. But there's something that we must do. And it's something that Peter teaches us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. But the next verse is very important. Humble, humble yourselves. What do we see Jacob doing at this point? He's humbling himself. I, I, get, I, I get frustrated when I hear preachers talking about, you know, we don't need to be humble anymore because we, you know, we're, we're the king's kids. We, we, we should just be, you know, taking everything that God has already given us. We should claim it all. Really? Peter, who's a disciple of the Lord, Peter, who's an apostle to the churches, Peter, who accompanied the Lord, he says, humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time, in due season. Casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. Now, I want you to underline the word all in your Bibles. Casting all your care. We have a funny way of interpreting the Lord's Word. It says casting all your care, but we just cast some of our care. Look, Lord, I know you're busy. I'll cast some of my care on you and I'll take care of the rest. That's what we do sometimes. But the Lord says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Call to me. The moment we try to take things into our own hands, we have a hard time and we fail. And I'm not sure what Jacob was thinking when he saw Esau running towards him. I mean, what would you have thought? If you had Jacob's suspicious and cautious character. Jacob might have said, oh God, how could you put me in this situation? Don't, don't we sometimes say that to the Lord? Oh God, why am I here? Why, 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 uh, I thought you were here to help me. Uh, why did you put me in this situation when I'm facing some great trial? Why, Lord? Oh my God. Oh. Why? After all of that worrying... Esau ran to meet Jacob, and when he got to him, he didn't punch him or kick him. 
Some of us might have. <laughs> Some of us might have. But Esau didn't do that. He didn't come and punch him and kick him. He, didn't, he just came and he hugged him and he kissed him. And then those two brothers wept for joy. And we think, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Isn't Esau the bad guy here? Isn't that funny? He doesn't look like the bad guy here. In this very instance, Esau did the opposite thing for what most of us would do. In fact, he did what God the Father does. Going back to verse 4 for a minute, that verse where it says that he came and, and he ran to him and he embraced him and he hugged him and he kissed him. And I said, well, you know what that sounds like? The only time in Scripture that you find God getting in a hurry is in the story of the prodigal son. How many of you said prodigal son earlier? Y'all get an A+. Plus. The story of the prodigal son. It's the only time we see God running. And why do we say God? Because you see, in that story, the prodigal son, which represents us, he squandered all of his inheritance. In the story that Jesus told in Luke 15, he squanders all of the inheritance. But see, how he got that inheritance is so important. He went to his father and he said, Lord, give me the inheritance that belongs to me. In effect, what he was saying to his father was an insult. He was saying, I wish you were dead, because if you're dead, then I can have my inheritance. So just give it to me now. What does the father do? He gives him the inheritance. But the son takes his inheritance and he squanders it. Probably on wine, women, and song. Then he has nothing. And he finds himself with the only job they can have, feeding pigs for probably pagans because the Jews of the time would not have anything to do with, with pigs. And he fed them and the only payment was that he ate the same food as the pigs. And he came to himself, it says, and he says, you know what, if I just go back to my father's house, if I just go back, I'll just say, Lord, Dad, it just... You know what? I'm probably not even worried to be your son. Just let me be a servant. I, you know, at least I know I'll have, you know, something. I'll have a place to live. I have a, a meal to eat. And I'll just live with all the rest of the servants. Right? So he came back just as Jacob was coming back to his place. He came back with the hopes that he could be a servant. But we're told in Luke 15, verse 20, And he rose and he came to his father. This is the prodigal. He rose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, it says, and he had compassion, and he ran, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. Just like Esau did with Jacob. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, 
and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. I'm sure that Jacob was in the very same condition as the prodigal. The prodigal came having lived with pigs. He probably hadn't had a bath in weeks or months. And and, and he stunk and he he smelled and he just had all kinds of weird odors on him. And, And the father ran. Uncharacteristically, the father did what a man of dignity of that time would never do. Run. Why? Because they always wore those long robes. But if they had to do something quickly, they had to gather up that robe and then they, they, he tied it up with his belt. And then off he went with his skinny little legs and everybody in the neighborhoods were saying, man, look at that guy going. He's not supposed to be doing that. That's very uncharacteristic of him. But he ran so he could meet his son and he didn't go and tell his son, listen, you know what? You remember when you did this and this and this and this and this and you insulted me and all that? He never did that. He fell on that ugly, stinky, yucky neck. And he kissed him. He embraced him. He loved him. You know, the Lord gets in a hurry for his children to come home. It's the only time the Lord gets in a hurry. He gets in in a hurry for his children to come home. Maybe you left Maybe you've gone on your own paths and you're just choosing to do a lot of things that you know aren't pleasing to the Lord, but you do them. And the Lord is saying, but as soon as I see you turn, I'm going to come. I'm going to fall upon you and I'm going to kiss you. He doesn't hold the past against us. He doesn't hold the past against us. He runs to meet us and then he welcomes us home with hugs and kisses. You see, we are to be forgiving of others in the same way that God is to us. And the past doesn't matter. The past doesn't matter. You might think the past matters, but it doesn't. Because think of the words of Jesus here. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We like that, right? Right? We like that. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But then he gives a warning in verse 15. He says, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now we have a problem here. Because now we have to deal with our own hearts. And the honesty of our hearts to say, am I forgiving of others for what they've done to me? Am I willing to bury the past? Not leave the handle of an axe exposed so I can pull it out and use it on the person that I'm supposed to love and yet despise them because I haven't forgiven them. Tremendous lesson. So after that warm embrace, the past was forgotten. Esau let it go. What a great lesson for us to learn. To let things go. The wrongs that were done to us. And to embrace family and friends and the love of Christ. I know it isn't easy. But if it was easy, you wouldn't need the Lord to help you, right? <clears throat> if it was easy, we wouldn't need the Lord. It's not easy. It is hard. It is very hard. 
Jacob needed God because it was not easy overcoming his fears and his apprehensions about his brother Esau. So what a lesson to learn from his brother. You know what, what Paul taught us and teaches us still in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 30 through 32? He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By the way, those of you who are believers in Christ, you've been sealed for the day of redemption, so this is for you. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He says, but let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In other words, not just the bitterness, not just the anger, but also the evil intent to cause any harm. That's malice. That's maliciousness. That's malignity. That is having the intent of wanting just to bash somebody's head in. The Lord says, put it away. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and the malice that goes with it. You have it. We've all been there. But then he gives us another list. He says, and be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. you know why he uses that word tender-hearted? Because when we are in such a state of bitterness towards somebody, especially in the church, we're hard-hearted. We're not tender-hearted. Now, understand that having a soft, tender heart and yet being a strong, courageous believer are not exclusive things. God wants us to have a soft heart filled with the love of Christ. But He wants us also to be wise. That's why He says, "Be put on the armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And yet we can have this kind of tender heart. Forgiving one another, he says, just as God in Christ forgave you. Have you forgotten that God forgave you and that He put your sins on Jesus on the cross? Because that's what He did. Have we forgotten that? By the way, this is not a suggestion either. These are commands. Well, I've got to wrap this up and... I guess, as I said earlier this morning, I, eh, we're running just a little late. But you know, it's important for us to finish this whole chapter. So let's do that. Let's go back to Genesis uh, 33 and go on from verse 8. Because then Esau said this. He said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? In other words, oh my goodness, you got all this, all the, you know, all this uh, cattle and, 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 and livestock and animals and sheep and yeah, what, what, what do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, well, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. That's what Jacob tells him. But, but Esau said, I, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, no, please. If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive me or receive my present, I should say, from my hand. Inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. What a, what a tremendous statement. Receive my gift, please. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. There's another testimony. God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough. Both brothers say the same thing. And so he urged him and he took it. He urged him and he took it. Both brothers have a blessed testimony, don't they? They each of them said, I have enough. But there's a difference. Esau just said, I have enough. I'm a wealthy man. I'm a self-made man. 
Whatever I have, I have because, you know, I've worked hard for it. I had to work hard for it because you took off. I had to work hard for it because you stole everything I really had. But, but I have enough now. On the other hand, there was Jacob who said, I have enough too, but it's because God graciously blessed me. You see a difference here? There's a difference. We continue to talk about Esau. Now Esau's shown himself to be kind of a nice guy right here, right now. And Jacob's still kind of crude. But Jacob still gives testimony that God has blessed him where Esau does not give that testimony. Please keep that in mind. What it does bring us, bring to our minds is this. That in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. See, godliness is much more important than whatever contentment we can receive from having a lot of stuff. Some of us may have more stuff than others, but you know, it doesn't matter. When we come into this room, we have the same. The blessings of God. We have the presence of Christ. We have the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have everything. We share all of that stuff together, don't we? What a blessedness it is. But then he says, for we brought nothing into this world and, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Everything we have is because God has given it to us or He's lent it to us or He's given it to us so that we might be good stewards of what He's given to us. But we didn't bring anything into this world. You know, when you hear that statement, you know, somebody was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. You know, no, he wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born like everybody else. A mouth full of, ah, you know. That was about all you brought into this world. A lot of noise. And other things. Anyway. Having food and clothing with ease, we shall be content. Isn't that wonderful? Y'all look, you might have had breakfast already, but you know, lunch is on the way. And you came from someplace. God gave you a nice house, nice place to live, nice quarters, nice shelter. Might be leaking a little bit like mine, but a lot of rain this last couple of weeks. That's okay. You can fix that. God's good. With these things we shall be content. We have enough. Because God has given it to us. Getting back to Esau's question about <clears throat> all the things that, that Jacob had been providing for him as far as a gift. He, his question was more out of courtesy than of curiosity. But Jacob gave a good reason. He, he said it was given to conciliate for his evil conniving years. Many years earlier. It was Jacob's way of saying to Esau that he was sorry. And in Esau's acceptance of the gifts, it was his way of saying to Jacob, you're forgiven. Now it is of great importance to note that in the culture, no one ever accepted gifts from an enemy. Nobody ever accepted a gift from an enemy. So this is significant. You only receive gifts from friends. And so to accept a gift was to accept friendship. It would seem that from this time forward, during the lifetimes of Esau and Jacob, the old animosities would no longer raise their heads. Many years later, there would be, but that would be with their descendants. But the one thing here to remember is that as fine a person as we see Esau being generous, likable, even noble, I have to tell you, he was still lost. He was still lost. Esau was a, he was like a fine polished diamond. I just, I just want to make this 
comparison and contrast. He was like a fine polished diamond while Jacob was like a dirt encrusted cabbage. If you've ever had your own gardens where you have to pull up uh, vegetables from the ground and you know you don't, you don't just pull them out of the ground you pull them out of the ground then you got to wash them because they've just got all this dust and dirt and grime and grit and you just don't want to eat all of that stuff so you you know that's how it, it, that's how we come out sometimes we're like this dirt encrusted cabbage so we have to understand that the difference between Esau and Jacob was not about degrees of the same kind of person because they weren't they were different kinds of people. Esau was a fine diamond. Jacob was a cabbage. But Esau was dead. And Jacob was alive. That's the difference. Do you understand that difference? We in the church, we are thankful for the, for the blessings of, of salvation through Jesus Christ, the work of the cross, the blood of Christ, the resurrection from the dead. But you know, sometimes we just are still crude people. Sometimes we're still learning to get out of that crudeness and become more into the image of Christ. Sometimes it takes a long time for some of us. Sometimes it doesn't take that long for others. But the point of the matter is, we're all still maturing and working toward that. But a person in the world that is, you know, that is, uh, that is lost, he can, man, he can be a nice person, he can be a moral person, he can, he can say the right things, he can have respect, he can say things right, and yet, because he doesn't believe and trust in the Lord, he's just lost and dead, as we were before we came to Jesus. That's the difference that we're dealing with here. One was polished, the other crude, but one was dead, the other is alive. And it, re- and, and it just brings to mind what... what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 about the calling of each and every one of us in this room. Listen, it says, For you, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Many of us are nobility here. <laughs> Some of us might be mighty physically, but very not mighty uh, spiritually. He says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Now, if I were to ask how many foolishness, how many foolish things are in here today, we wouldn't want to raise our hand, but you, the, the, the truth is we'd all have to raise our hands. Because God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame to the to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. We've discovered that without Christ we're weak. We have nothing. And then he says, in the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. You know what the base things are? You ever think about the word base there? We're not talking about, you know, baseball or anything like that, uh, or even musical instruments because it's spelled differently. But a base thing, you know, take for example, every house, most every house has what's called a baseboard in the house, right? The baseboard that goes along the bottom uh, edge of, of your house, baseboards. They're called baseboards because they're at the very bottom. And a lot of things happen to those baseboards. You know, people kick them. And if you have dogs, they look, like I used to have a, a basset hound years ago. And he had these, these long jowls like this. And he would go. And, and he all, oh, there was, it was all along the baseboard. Just to, oh, yeah. And he would do it with his food after he'd eat. And he had to clean all that stuff up. Uh, that's not very appetizing before lunch, but I'm sorry. Uh, but that's it. The base things, the despised things. The very bottom things. God has chosen the base things of the world and the despised things, which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. 
that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So God has chosen those things that are nothing, so that in everything that we, pro- that we proclaim, we proclaim God is the one who gets the glory. Because we're just the base things, the foolish things, the weak things, and He makes us mighty. He makes us strong. He makes us wise. He makes us something. He makes us beautiful. He makes us what He wants us to be, which is a reflection of His Son. All right, we're almost done. So there were still some lessons to learn for Jacob in regards to his fear and to his faltering. Some more lessons. Uh, let's read verses 12 through 17. Then Esau said, let us take our journey. In other words, Esau said, okay, we're welcome. We're, we're welcoming you back into the land. Come on, let's take this journey together now. Let's, let's go and I'll go before you. I'll, I'll be your protector going before you. And, and Jacob said to him, well, my, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks are, and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Now there's truth to that, of course. So he says, please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. You, you just go on ahead. And, I'll, I, and I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to, to my Lord and say here, you go on over to Mount Seir and, and we'll come a few days later. You know, we'll just come at our own good pace and we'll meet you there. Now, hasn't Jacob said something like that similar? When he sent the animals to, to, to Esau, he says, tell, he told his messengers, tell Esau that I'll be on my way after all of this. And he never went, right? So, oh, Jacob, here we go. So he says the same thing. He says, you go to Mount Seir now, and we'll, we'll come afterwards. And Esau said, well, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me, some of these 400 men. And he said, oh, what need is there? Let, let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. In other words, just, you know, we'll, we'll come along. Don't, trust me. Trust me. Now, is this a face you can trust? Uh, don't, don't answer that one. Trust me. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But look at this. And Jacob journeyed to Sukkot. Wait a minute. Jacob went north while the other guys went south. And that wasn't because he had a faulty compass. He didn't want to go. He lied again. That's why he's called Jacob in this chapter. He lied again. Jacob journeyed to Sukkot, which, by the way, means booths, temporary housing, temporary shelter. And he built himself a house and made booths for his livestock, and therefore the name of the place is called Sukkot. Uh, we'll get to that next verse in, the, in a second. So, there's some truth and some untruths that, that are spoken by Jacob, but certainly he was, a, he was happy to be reconciled with his brother Esau, but he was still a bit unsure of him. He was still suspicious. He was still cautious. And so he wanted to keep his distance. So once again, we, we see Jacob shining through instead of Israel because he's not trusting the Lord. 
He's not trusting the Lord. The Lord gave him a camp of angels. You think that Esau wants to battle with a camp of angels? I don't think so, but he doesn't see him, of course. But nonetheless, who knows that they're there? Jacob knows that they're there. Yet he still doesn't go in the direction he's supposed to go. So let me make this statement. It is hard. It sure is hard trying to be Jacob and Israel at the same time, isn't it? It's hard to try to be Jacob and Israel at the same time. It's hard to be somebody who is conniving and deceitful and and all these things, and yet still be governed by God. It's hard. And it's not beneficial. Because either we're governed by God or we'll continue to be governed by Jacob. We're either going to be led by the Spirit or we're going to be led by the flesh. Which one is it? That's why Paul said to the Galatians, and I'm going to read this very quickly because of time. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? The Galatians wanted to go back to the law rather than live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, folks, what did you do? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I hope you say... The hearing of faith. Then he says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You began in the Spirit, but now you're going back to the flesh. That's what Jacob did. So later on in the chapter, he says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not... Do the things that you wish. So there's that constant battle going on inside of many of us because we're wanting to live by the Spirit, but we're also wanting to be led by the flesh. So there's the problem. There's, there's one of those issues that keeps us from forgiving as we should, from being merciful and being tenderhearted as we should. Well, so Jacob said to Esau that he'd follow later and go south to the area of Mount Seir, but instead he headed north, short of where he needed to go, because God had called him to go back to Bethel, and he didn't go back to Bethel. So, let's finish off here. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, uh, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. And then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel, which means... God, the God of Israel. So here's a wrap-up of everything. It was good that Jacob arrived in the promised land, but he had fallen short of full obedience in that he did not return to Bethel. Now instead, he built his home in Shechem, having bought a piece of land from Hamor, who was a Philistine, by the way. Land which the Lord had given him to possess. So the question is, why buy anything from the world when the Lord has already promised to provide it? That was land that was already promised to Jacob. And God would give it to him in his own way, yet Jacob purchased it. Which a lot of times I wonder why we waste time and energy and gifts and, 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 and provisions in the world, getting things in the world that God says, I'm going to give you anyway. Well, I mean, we have to ask ourselves that question because sometimes we expend our energies worthlessly. And then Jacob built an altar to the Lord. We say, well, that's, that's a good thing, isn't it? And he named it 
El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. Well, the altar was good, but complete obedience is better. And that's what God wants. He wants it more than sacrifice. As a matter of fact, Samuel had to say to Saul, when Saul had usurped the authority of the priests, he had to come to him and he said to him, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Notice what's underlined. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Let me close with this thought. Today is a good day to forgive. And it is a good day to receive forgiveness. Today is a good day for us to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. It is a good day to forgive and forget. To let go. It is a good day to be like the Father. And in this example, to be like Esau. Who had every reason to want to destroy his brother for what Jacob had done to him. And yet, somehow we know that God had impressed upon him to forgive. If he can do that with unbelievers, don't you think that he can do that with a believer? Don't you think that we should, as believers, take hold of forgiveness toward those who have not treated us too well? And I'm, I'm going to just repeat it. It's not easy, but that's why we need the Lord. If it was easy, we wouldn't need the Lord. But we need Him. Because it's not easy. Because the battle of the Spirit and the flesh goes on every day inside of us. So let's surrender to the Spirit of God today. Amen? Let's surrender to the Spirit of God. Let's let the love of Christ rule and reign in our hearts. Let's let the peace of God rule and reign in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you.